Well, today we are wrapping up our series called Next Level Love, where we've been taking the last five weeks to look at how do we rewire our brains when it comes to dating and marriage, relationships, and as we'll talk about today, sex. Now, there's been a key verse that we've been looking at in order to rewire our brains. It's sort of the, the one that it's sort of given us the motivation to do this. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, where, again, Paul says this, and everybody go ahead and say it with me. We've been talking about this every single week, that in your what? In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We can't have the mindset of Hollywood. We can't have the mindset of your coworker that's on her third marriage. We can't have our, even our own gut telling us what to do in our marriage and our dating and our relationships. We have to take the mindset of Jesus. We have to understand what does God have to say about this. Now, to understand what God has to say about this, we've also been using the, the research and the, the writings of Dr. John Van Epp. And John Van Epp has been a Christian psychologist and, and a counselor and researcher for over 20 years now. And what he has done in his study of scripture and then in his study of just human behavior and what relationships are, is he's taken that scientific approach and the word of God, and he's developed this thing called the RAM. This is the relationship attachment model. And he says, basically, there's five things that bond human beings together. And this is any type of relationship, not just romantic relationships, any type of relationship. First of all, you get to know somebody, and then you say, okay, now that I know them, can I trust them? Once you know that you can trust them, can I rely on them? Once you can rely on them, you ask yourself, can I commit to them or not? And then comes appropriate touch, whatever that may look like. Now, in romantic relationships, what we've said is that for singles, this is actually a progression of how things should work. But the problem is too many singles go right from no, right into touch, right from no to let's have sex together. And we've said that, man, that is going to cause all kinds of problems in your relationships if you don't, first of all, get to trust them or lie to them. Know that you're committed before you get to this. And this is what we're going to talk about here today. Now, for those of you that are already married, we've said that, look, you got to find balance when it comes to this. There's got to be balance in no trust, rely, commit, and touch. And it's very easy for relationships to get out of balance. So that's why it's important that you're always talking to your spouse, always communicating with them, getting to know them more, seeing where things are at when it comes to all these things. That makes sense? All right, so that's where we've been. And what we've done is each week we've taken one week to look at each of the five words. Today we're going to look at this word of touch. Now, let me just say this. A lot of you are going, all right, this is going to be nothing but sex today. Well, there's going to be a lot of we're going to talk about that, but... Touch is more than just that. In fact, if you're taking notes here today, I put this on your outline. There is life-giving power that happens with human touch. There's life-giving power that happens with human touch. Back in the early 1900s, doctors were like trying to figure out why is it that infants that are placed immediately into orphanages are almost all dying within the first year of their lives. In fact, it was 90%, 90% of infants within the first year of birth were dying. They're like, what in the world is going on? As they began to research it then, what they discovered is it was because of this lack of human touch. The, their little bodies were literally being starved of human touch, and they were dying as a result. Now, as adults then, what happens is if you don't have adequate human touch, mood and anxiety disorders, 
there's depression and mental health issues that arise. And that's part of the reason that COVID wasn't deadly just from a, a virus standpoint, but from a human touch standpoint as well, from a mental health standpoint. It, it was deadly because for at least a year, for many people, and for some people two years, and some people are still living this way, that it's like, I'm doing everything I can to avoid you. I don't want to be around people. I'm not going to, to touch anyone. Stay away from me. And no wonder we're seeing now, you know, a couple years past, you know, 2020, that depression, suicide, anxiety, they're all through the roof. They're all at all-time highs. It's crazy what the lack of human touch does for people. And so we've got to understand that this is not just only a a mental thing for us, an emotional thing, but it's, it's a spiritual thing as well. We need human touch. Jesus understood the power of human touch. You know, Jesus, when he would see people that they were sick or, or diseased in some way, or, or they were crippled or lame or blind, he would often heal them, but he didn't just speak the word to do that. I mean, he could have, and he did a couple times just speak the word. You know what he did? He would actually touch them because there is power in human touch to say, I see you, I relate to you, and I value you so he would touch them. Did you know that four different times in the New Testament, we are told to greet one another with a holy kiss? And that's not something that we've done for a while, so I thought we'd reinstitute that practice starting today. So go ahead and turn to the person sitting next to you and greet them. No, I'm kidding. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> Be awkward, right? <laughs> Be awkward. In fact, I actually had a guy when I was self-employed that, that, that worked for me, and he was a Mennonite. And his wife passed away. And in their very traditional Mennonite church, they greeted one another with a holy kiss. And so I went to his wife's funeral, and I walk into this Mennonite church, and all the guys are like, full on on the lips. You know, they're, they're kissing each other. And I'm like, hey, I'm Gilbert. Nice to meet you. you know? <laughs> but what, what was that about? Well, it was a cultural thing. And there's st- still some cultures here on this planet they, they practice uh, greeting, you know, the, the kissing on each cheek, you know, that type of thing. So it, it's a cultural type of thing. And in our country, what do we do? We do high fives and fist bumps and handshakes and give hugs and all that kind of stuff. Why? Again, there's power in human touch. Even amongst us as a, a church family, what we're saying is, look, I know you. I trust you. I rely on you. I, I'm committing that we're in this Jesus thing together. And let's celebrate that with giving each other a hug out in the cafe. You know, a shaking of a hand, a fist bump. We're in this together. There's power in human touch. Now, if we understand that there's that kind of emotional bond with just friends and amongst each other, why is it then that so many people struggle with this whole thing of sex? Why don't we understand that sex is more than just a physical bond? It's a mental bond. It's a spiritual bond. It's an emotional bond as well. Why don't we understand that sex is more than just body parts and nerve endings? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about here today. Now, before we get started, because I just said the, the three-letter word, sex, can we even say that in church? Some of you are uncomfortable with this whole topic today. I don't know if we should be talking about this in the, in, the, in the church. Did you know that the very first command in all of Scripture is for Adam and Eve to have sex? 
It's true. Genesis 1.28. You read all through the first 27 chapters, or uh, the first 27 verses of uh, Genesis, there are no commands. The very first command is for them to have sex. So, man, that's where God started. <laughs> all right? Here's another thing you may not understand. 66 books in the Bible. Did you know that one of them is a sex manual? One entire book. That's all it's about. It's called the Song of Solomon. Basically, it's Solomon, and he's writing erotic letters to his wife, and his wife is writing erotic letters back to her husband. In fact, it was so erotic that little Hebrew boys were not allowed to read it until they got to a certain age. Which gets me to wondering, were little Hebrew boys like sneaking into their dad's bedroom and taking their scrolls and they're like, ooh. <laughs> right? You're going, come on, Gilbert, is it really that bad? Yes, it's that bad. Let me give you a little sample here. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 6, through the beginning part of verse 7. Solomon is writing, he says, Your beauty within and without is absolute, dear lover, close companion. You are tall and supple like the palm tree. You're going, Gilbert, that's not so bad. In fact, that's kind of sweet, sort of romantic. Well, I haven't continued yet. Let's continue on. Solomon says, and your breasts. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, and your full breasts are like sweet clusters of dates. I say, I'm going to climb that palm tree. I'm going to caress its fruit. Oh, yes. Your breasts will be like clusters of sweet fruit to me. Now, it gets worse than that. <laughs> so you'll have to read it for yourself. Song of Solomon, Old Testament. Read it for yourself. So that's the first thing. It gets worse than that. Second, guys, listen. Look, guys, look at me online. Look at me. Look at me online. And guys, do not go home and compare your wife's breasts to clusters of dates. And don't go, hey, baby, I want to climb that tree. <laughs> don't, don't do it. I'm just, word of advice, that didn't cost you anything extra today. That's not going to do it for her, okay? But my, my point is this. Seriously, the Old Testament and the New Testament provide a manual for better sex, more sex, and more satisfying sex as well. So here's the first thing I want you to understand. I put it on your outline, and that is this, that God wants you to have amazing sex, but within the boundaries that he has set. What is the main boundary that he set? Well, that sex is to be between a man and a woman within the confines of a marriage. And, you know, this decision to wait to have sex until you're married is one of the best decisions that Lisa and I ever made, and it's going to become clear a little bit later why we made that decision. So what I want to say is this. If you're single and you're not having sex, you're still a virgin, remain that way until you get married. Wait until you've made that commitment. Then... Do this. If you're single and you're having sex, stop it and stop it immediately. Because again, sex is more than just body parts and nerve endings. God has designed sex for married couples. It's more than just a physical bond. It's an emotional bond. It's a spiritual bond. Why in the world would you be bonded to somebody until you know if you can trust them and rely on them and be truly committed to them? Why would you jump right to here without knowing all of these things here. And so singles, again, if you're having sex, stop doing it and stop doing it now. God has designed this progression and the boundaries 
for your protection, both now and in the future. Now, I know some of you go, Gilbert, I, I don't believe the Bible. That just because God says that we shouldn't be doing it, I don't believe it. And besides, Gilbert, this sounds really old-fashioned. Okay, tell you what. Let's set the Bible aside for a second. Let's look at this bonding from a scientific standpoint. See, what I'm going to show you is that there is actually biology behind the theology. That God designed us in, in such a way that when he says these things to us, scientifically even, he's saying to wait. Again, you're going, well, I, don't believe, I don't believe there's even a God. Okay, well, again, let me show you the science behind sex. Did you know that when you have sex, that there are three different chemicals that get released in your brain? The first one you've probably heard of before, it's called dopamine. How many of you have ever heard of dopamine before? All right, a lot of you have heard of that. Dopamine, this is also called the, the pleasure molecule. And basically what happens is anytime you experience anything that has pleasure, this rush of dopamine is flooding in your brain. And what dopamine does is it gets you to start to associate everything around you in that environment with the pleasure. So whatever you're seeing, whatever you're smelling, whatever you're tasting, whatever you're hearing, you start to associate that with the pleasure. We would call these then triggers. Have you ever had a time where, like, you heard a song and it triggered a memory and you, like, had a rush that you're like, oh, that's a pleasurable thing? Or, or you had a smell, you know, oh, and that reminds you of grandma and her cookies, you know, and stuff. And, and it gives you pleasure thinking about, you know, your grandma and how much she loved you and stuff. This whole thing of dopamine is the entire reason that, that like, drug and alcohol addicts have such a tough time breaking their addiction, you see, they start to get the high well before they actually take the drug because of this whole thing of, of dopamine. Just the sight of the drug or just being in a certain environment or just being around certain people, a, a rush comes over your body. This, this dopamine is giving you this rush and you're like, oh, this is going to be pleasurable and so I should do this. And so it's the same way with, with sex. When you have sex, you're brain is being flooded with dopamine and it's going this is pleasurable and it's pleasurable with this person that I'm doing it with and this is why like you'll often see people that they're in a bad relationship or they're in an abusive relationship but yet they don't get out of that relationship why because they're having sex and they're bonded together this dopamine is saying I experience pleasure when I'm around you even when oftentimes you're not experiencing pleasure around this person. And so you're bonded to them. So that, that's the first chemical that gets released in your brain. The second chemical, chemical is called vasopressin. And what vasopressin does, and, and this happens for both males and females, but it impacts males more because what vasopressin does is it actually interacts with testosterone. And when it has this chemical reaction and, and this sort of reaction has been called the, uh, the, uh, the uh, monogamy molecule. That what it does is it bonds you to that person to say, I want to be with you and with you only. And so vasopressin, it's interacting with this testosterone, it's creating this reaction, and especially for guys, because again, we have the higher testosterone level, especially for guys, it's making us as guys going, I don't want to have another woman. 
I only want this woman. I want to be monogamous. In fact, researchers have done uh, some tests and studies with, you know, there are different animals that mate for life. Are you familiar with that? That, you know, there, there's some that they just don't cheat. I mean, they, they don't. They're, they just, they have a mate and it's for life. And so what they've done is they've taken these animals and in the male, they've actually suppressed, they've given them injections to suppress the vasopressin. And you know what the males immediately do? They start to sleep with other females. And as soon as they take that suppressant away, and the vasopressin is now interacting with the testosterone again, guess what? They go immediately right back to the mate. So you got dopamine, you got vasopressin, and you got oxytocin. That's the third one. And, and what happens with this one, this one actually impacts females more. In fact, this is the same uh, chemical that gets released in the female brain during childbirth. And what this one does, it's, it's a thing of, I want to be bonded to you in a, a deep connection. It's a, an affection type of, uh, of chemical and, and feeling that you have, that I want to be affectionate. This is why, you know, most women after sex, they want to snuggle. They want to cuddle up. Why? Because this has been released, and they're like, I just want to be close to you. And so with all three of those, dopamine, vasopressin, oxytocin, they're bonding you to the person. Oh, I find you pleasurable. For guys, oh, I want to be monogamous with you. With women, oh, I want to be close to you. I want to be affectionate with you. I want to stay with you. You've been bonded together. So do you see now why I say that Sex is more than just a physical bonding. It's an emotional bonding. It's a mental bonding. And yes, it's a spiritual bonding as well. God knew what he was doing when he created us and why he gave these boundaries for who to have sex with. And it's to be done only within the confines of a committed marriage and relationship. Here and here only. It's very important. And so if you think about it, though, you know, this whole biology side of sex, like with the, the chemicals in the brain, that's actually really cool in a marriage, isn't it? That when you look at your spouse and go, you bring me pleasure. I want to be committed to you and you only. I want to be emotionally connected with you and you only. That's really cool within a marriage. It's beautiful, in fact. But outside of marriage, it's very, very dangerous. So what I'm saying to you is science actually backs up what God has been saying all along, that sex is for marriage and marriage alone. Now, some of you are going, Gilbert, still not convinced. Because, you know, I think that before I would get married, I need to, you know, test drive the car, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. What you mean is you think you're smarter than God. What you mean is you think that you're smarter than science. What you mean is you think that you're smarter than decades of research that's been done. Did you know that if you have sex before marriage, you're three times more likely to get a divorce than those that wait? That you're two times more likely to have an affair? Did you know that when they do studies of married couples versus singles, that Married couples actually are the ones that have the higher satisfaction in sexual satisfaction. 
You see, a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to sleep around with a bunch of people and stuff, and that's going to be sexually satisfying. Nope, that's not what the research shows at all. And so, no, you shouldn't test drive the car, so to speak. Because you know what we do with cars, right? We use them, and we replace them. Or George, as I heard him say, we trade them in. Is that really what you want your relationships to be like? That it's just about using the other person or you're being used and you trade them in for a new model or they're trading you in? It's not what we want at all. And so we've got to learn to live our relationships within the boundaries that God has set. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 16 to 20. The Apostle Paul says this, There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with a master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that never can become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Singles, I pray that that scripture and what I've shared with you today so far in this message and the, the biology behind the theology, I pray that it has sort of motivated you that, oh man, God knows what he's talking about here. And he's put those boundaries for my safety, for my protection. And that you would use these words today as guidance for your future. All right, let's switch over then. I want to talk to those of you that are married. Because, you know, other than finances, sex is the, the second thing that, that couples have the most conflict about. Different expectations when it comes to sex. And so what I want to share with you guys today that are married is how do we turn sex from being a battleground into a playground? Paul, he, he gives us actually a template for this in 1 Corinthians. Apparently, you know, this whole question of, you know, sex and what's right for Christians and what's not right for Christians, it's not a new question. Paul, apparently, he was asked a lot of questions about sex. Who should we have sex with? Shouldn't be having sex with? You know, when should we do it? Is there any times we shouldn't be doing it? All those types of things. And so he actually writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 to 7, he says, now, getting down to the questions you asked me in your letter. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? And Paul says, certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain, to contain them and to provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world full of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a place to serve the other, whether in bed or not. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least 
expected. Now, in these seven verses here, we find four different principles that Paul gives us for taking not only our love life, but our sex life to the next level. Let's look at them. Number one on your outline, sex is designed only for within the context of marriage. Now, I just spoke a lot about that with the singles, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But again, sex is designed only for within the context of marriage. Number two, abstaining from sex in a marriage is not good. Let me say that again. Abstaining from sex in a marriage is not good. Paul gives the exception. He says, except when you are praying and fasting. This isn't just, oh, we're coming aside for a time of prayer. No, this is we are praying and fasting. And so during that one day, two day, three days that you're abstaining from food, Paul says at the same time, go ahead and abstain from sex as well. But other than that, you should not be abstaining from sex in your marriage. Now, are there some exceptions? Sure. If you just had a baby, you you have surgery, maybe one of you has to go away on a work trip, you know, those types of, there are times that things are going to happen. But when you're together and, and all things being considered are the same, you should be having sex and having it frequently. Why? Because as I explained earlier, sex is more than just a physical bonding, it's an emotional bonding. It's a good thing that the dopamine and the vasopressin and the oxytocin are being released because it's connecting you to your spouse. Now, this brings up the question. You're going, Gilbert, how often? How often should we be having sex? And the answer is 22 times a week. It's right in, no, I'm making that up, right? But I'm hoping Lisa's like tuned out, like, or or, I'm not sure. But anyway, no, I'm kidding. The, The thing is, there is no magic number. There is no magic number. But remember what Paul said here. The goal in a marriage is to serve one another. And what often happens is, One person has a high drive, the other person has a lower drive, right? I remember when Lisa and I got married, I mean, we discovered that. I mean, she just could not keep her hands off of me. It was ridiculous. I'm like, can't we just cuddle? I feel like a piece of meat. All right, maybe it was the opposite way around, but... (laughs) Right? But but what, what what does Paul say here? He says... You're, you're to serve one another. And so when it comes to one has a high drive, one has a, a lower drive, you got to find compromise. But here's what I would say to you. Try to compromise towards the direction of the one that has the higher drive. And here's why I say this, and this isn't being selfish, right? This is why I say this. I have never once heard an older couple go, you know the real problem with our marriage? We had way too much sex. Yep, all kinds of conflict because we just had way too much sex in our marriage. I've never heard that. You know what I hear all the time, though, and this is for for real. I hear this from couples of all ages. The problem in our marriage is we don't have enough sex, and it's created conflict. And so, again, if you have to compromise, compromise towards the one that's higher. You're going, just give us a number already. (laughs) Here's what I'd say. Probably for most couples, anywhere from two to three times a week is going to be about right. Now, Again, there is no magic number. I'm just saying that in general, that's going to be about right. Now, some of you, your number's a lot higher. Both the male and the female are going, that's it? God bless you. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) Some of you, the the number may be a little bit lower, but not much lower. All right? Because again, and we're going to look at why this is important in just a little bit. Paul gives us sort of these, these guidelines that sex should be something that we are not abstaining from in a marriage. 
Before I get to that, though, let's go to point number three. Sex within a marriage needs to be a place of mutuality. In other words, we need to serve one another. It's not about me. It's about them. And I've shared this before in, in other marriage series that we've done. And it's not an original thought to me. I read it in a book at some point. But it's basically a great illustration that, look, men are like microwaves. Women are like crockpots. Sexually. Right? Men, man, we could be ready in an instant. We're, we're ready to go. Women, it takes them a little while to warm up to the idea of sex. Now, I, I'm being a little bit stereotypical, right? But for men, it's, it's, man, we're ready at any time. Women need to be warmed up emotionally to the idea. And this is why I've said to you guys in the past that, look, sex actually begins in the kitchen. And I'm not saying that that's physically where the act is going to happen, although there's nothing wrong with that, right, if that's your thing. But I'm just saying, look, sex begins in the kitchen. It begins in the morning, guys, when you're helping get the kids ready to go to school. Sex begins as you hold her hand throughout the day, as you're texting her, like, I love you and, and I, I, I care for you. Sex is, is giving her hugs. Sex is praying for your spouse. See, all these things are warming her up because she needs that emotional connection to you first before she's going to be physically connected to you. And so sex doesn't begin when you climb into the bed, guys. Sex begins well before that. It starts early in the day. And so, guys, that, that's how you're going to be, best be able to, to go about serving your wife is serve her by serving her. Be there for her. Sure that I'm in this. I'm committed to this for the long haul. See, the more you get to know her and show her that you trust her and that you rely on her and that you're committed to her, the more she's going to want to participate in the touch side of things. Now, ladies, how do you go about serving your husband? What's that look like? How, how do you... How do you serve him and, and help him? Well, ladies, here's what you need to understand about guys. Guys want to be pursued sexually. Not romantically necessarily, sexually. And ladies, here's something you will just never understand about us guys, all right? And all the guys are going to like quietly be amening and high-fiving and all that kind of stuff when I say this, all right? but they're, they're going to, like, act appropriate, right? <laughs> but, ladies, you're never going to understand just how much these guys are stimulated visually. Right? Ladies, this is why he wants to see you in lingerie. This is why he wants to see you naked. You, ladies, you, you've never seen him get out of the shower, and go, mm, you know, <laughs> you know he, maybe once or twice. But he literally, every time he sees you in just a little bit of clothing or naked, he's going, oh, man. <laughs> All right, we got one amen because his wife isn't here today. All right. <laughs> Seriously, it doesn't make him weird. It doesn't make him perverted. It's just how God wired guys up. We are so stimulated from a visual standpoint. 
And so that's how you can serve him. And what research has shown is this, that a man who is sexually pursued is a confident man. I'm not talking about just confident in bed. I'm talking about when guys have high sexual satisfaction, when they feel pursued sexually by their wives, what the research has shown is they become a better husband, a better father, a better worker. It just gives guys confidence when they know that their wife sexually wants them. And so both for men and women, we need to learn to serve our spouse. Now, if you need help with this, there's a great book, Lisa and I got it many, many years ago. It's by uh, Dr. Kevin Lehman. It's called Sheet Music, right? It's like how to, how to make more beautiful music together, right? So it's a little play on words there. So it's called Sheet Music. And basically, he gives you not only the, the biblical side of sex within a marriage, but then practical tips and, and stuff as well. So I'd recommend that book to you. All right, number four then. What Paul talked about is this, that we need to keep talking about and growing in your sexual lives as a married couple in order to avoid temptation. Look, Satan wants to ruin your marriage. We've talked about that throughout this series, that Satan wants to ruin your marriage. And one of the prime ways he's going to do this is by bringing sexual temptation into the relationship. And this is why I was saying earlier, and what Paul wrote about is, do not abstain from sexual relations. It should be frequently happening. Why? Because if it isn't, sexual temptation is right around the, uh, the corner for you. It's sort of like this. If you're not having sex, it's basically like taking somebody that is starving, you know, hunger. They are starving. They haven't eaten for days and days and days and days. And then you give them $1,000 and you put them in the midst of a food court. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? They're going to eat. And what we need to realize is that from a sexual standpoint, our world has put a smorgasbord of things out there. And there are free samples all over the place. And so we have got to not abstain from sex because if we are, what we're doing is we're, we're, asking, we're asking for it. We're asking for temptation to come in, for an affair to happen, either a physical affair or an emotional affair. You're asking for pornography to start coming into your home. Why? Because there's such a temptation when sex is not happening frequently within a marriage. And so Paul gives us this template here. God gives us this template of there's a new mindset for what we need to have. And it's not a new mindset. It's the mindset we should have already had. But again, we go with what Hollywood says. We go with what, you know, other people were saying to us. We got to go with what God's word says. Now, as I wrap up today and I wrap up the series, let me say one more thing. I put it on your outline. It takes more than sex to have a strong marriage, but it's nearly impossible to have a strong marriage without it. That makes sense. Sex isn't the be-all, end-all of a marriage. It's going to take a lot more than that. But you're not going to have a strong marriage without it. So here's my challenge. For those of you that are single, again, if you're currently having sex, stop. Stop. Wait until you've gone through each of these steps of the ramp before you get to this. And I would recommend to you singles, pick up Dr. John Van Epp's book, How to Avoid Dating Jerks. And we've based a lot of the series around that particular book. He unpacks the ram, and they're way more than what I could.
So singles do that. Trust God. Trust that he knows what he's talking about. Live within his boundaries. And then for those of you that are, are married, keep the ram, keep it balanced, especially in this area. Work on this. This, this is the one that's easy for it to drop. Keep it balanced. Continue to talk. And I would encourage you to pick up uh, Dr. Van Epp's book on, for married couples, which is called Becoming Better Together. Again, he unpacks the ram and a lot of other stuff for married couples that I wasn't able to cover in this particular series. For everybody here, remember Philippians 2.5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about how we want to do things. We got to take Jesus' attitude, his mindset, and then live it out. What Dr. Van Epp has provided for us is here's the five things that bond people together. Romantically or not, these are the five things. If we can remember these things and and learn to live these things out, we are going to take our love to the next level. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for not only this day, but we thank you for these past five weeks as we've been able to look at what romantic relationships look like from your mindset, not from our own mindset. And Lord, I pray that wherever changes need to be made, that your spirit has been convicting us and that your spirit is not just convicting and convincing us, but your spirit is actually giving us, all right, here's the next step you can take in order to live this out. That, Lord, we would then be obedient to live out those next steps, whatever they may be. Lord, I thank you for researchers and and experts like Dr. Van Epp, who's taken his study of scripture and and his study of science, and he's combined them together. We as Christians aren't against science. Science just shows, God, what you are doing and and how you created things, and in this case, how you created us. And Lord, we've looked a lot of things in the series and and even today of the the biology behind the theology, and so we thank you that... um, researchers and, and, and various people, scientists, have shown that your way is always best and it's not our way. And so, Lord, help us to live according to your ways with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. Jesus, I pray for the singles that are here today, those that are listening online, that, Lord, they would progress in the order that you would have them to progress. And that, Lord, they would be patient and that you would eventually provide that right person that they would say, all right, I want to be committed to this person until death do me part. And for, Lord, the marrieds that are here today, I just pray that you would bless their marriages, that they would look at each one of these five words and and where are we lacking right now and what do we need to improve on in our relationship to keep some balance to these five words. And so, Lord, help them just to communicate, communicate, communicate. As we talked about back in week one, you cannot over-communicate in a marriage. So help them to continue to do that. And then, Lord, I just pray that they as well would be uh, convicted of your spirit, of those things that aren't yet where you would have it to be, and that they would be faithful to live those things out so that their marriages can go to that next level. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, all that you're doing in our lives, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.